0: September 12th, 1998. Richard called me on his way to the office. He said they had talked a lot and that he had fallen asleep while she was still talking. I envisioned the meat knife in the food prep room, the one that can cut through a chunk of beef with just one effortless stroke. I felt the knife sink deep into my heart. It's strange that such a physical pain in the organ of the heart can be felt when the thought process is in the brain. Why didn't it feel like the blade was crashing through my brain? I knew this was going to hurt, but I wasn't prepared for the intensity. I was choking on the blood gushing from my severed heart and into my lungs. I couldn't speak. When I finally did, I had to change the subject. I didn't want to cry and give away to him how much this hurt. He is too kind to inflict such injury, and I fear he would forego doing the things he needs to do, or worse yet, lie to me about it. I hope that I can cope better with this as time goes on. Today was going to be a test of that endurance because he had told me weeks ago that another woman he used to work with had asked him to go to the Janet Jackson concert with him tonight, and then Patty was acting out her fatal attraction for him and wanted his attention tonight as well. Around midday, he told me that he'd like to have an early dinner with me, and then he would go to Patty and Tom Butler to the game, and then he'd go to the concert. I met him for dinner at 5.45, and we ate at the brown dog. They were fully reserved, so we ate before anyone was due to arrive, and the mahi-mahi was just wonderful. Afterwards, we returned to his office and were reading over the trust documents and insurance policies and trusts. I had been there for a couple hours and asked when I should be out of there so that I didn't upset Patty, and Richard said he had canceled everything. I felt touched and yet guilty. Had I let him know somehow how I felt? Had he denied himself for my sake? How am I ever going to be able to convince him that I am okay with his dating? It's hard to sell something you don't believe in. Later on, he introduced me to his longtime friend, Tom Butler. We met at Hooters, and they ate chicken wings and watched the ball game. Tom brought me up to speed on Richard's past life. The only woman who Richard had ever said had broken his heart was Mary. Mary's best friend was Becky, who was Tom's great love as well. Tom talked at length about the good times the four of them had together, and what wonderful women they were. This was more than ten years ago, but the affection was still very strong. When we left there, Richard and I went to Stormans to watch the people. We sat outside sharing our observations about the people who were coming and going at midnight. I am so grateful that I don't have to go through the silly pretenses that the general public does in search of love. Are any of these people happy? All of the pretty girls showing off their best features hoping to lure Mr. Wright, and all of the males sniffing around for a bitch in heat. There's not much in store for either party. This was a great opportunity to get to know Richard better. His casual observations about people and events tell me a lot about his thought process. Even though we were sitting there taking inventory of all of the mini skirts, skin-tight dresses, and miracle bras, there was nothing lewd in his manner. Rather than seeing this as a sensual fashion show, he seemed to approach it more like I do. I see the outward presentation as a reflection of the person, and I try to discover the whys that brought them to this place and time. It's not to say you can judge a book by its cover, but I think there are valid clues there. We witnessed the tail end of a barroom brawl that ended up in the parking lot and had an interesting argument over how it should have been handled. In typical fashion, I waited for him to give me a clue as to what his stance would be, and then I launched into the opposing point of view. We debated this pretty adamantly before I felt like I had pushed him far enough and conceded. I admitted I could have taken either position and argued it just as hotly And I told him how much I enjoyed being able to battle wits with an armed person. I really enjoy this sort of mental exercise, who is right or wrong is of little or no consequence to me. He's just a great person to practice with because he doesn't get excited and he's open-minded enough to agree where there's agreement and yet determined enough to hold his ground where there is no agreement. There aren't too many people smart enough or challenging enough to enjoy this sort of mental dexterity with. Sunday, Richard came in for the 10 o'clock service, and I introduced him to Mom, Dad, Mama Jackie, Matt, Chuck, and nearly the entire congregation. It meant the world to me that he came. Twice, I was out the door before I realized he was still shaking hands and talking to everyone in sight. He had such an easy manner with people. They just seemed to like him immediately and intensely, just like I did. My dad, of course, is afraid that he's out to kill me on Don's behalf, and Mom's afraid he was a plant put there to say I wasn't being faithful to Don. I explained to them that I called him from a newspaper ad, and there was no way this was a setup. Don scared them so badly that I expect it will take them a while to feel the natural easiness with Richard. If someone had tried to kill Jamie as many times as Don tried to kill me, I would be suspicious. We went to Pipo's for lunch and then back to his office to review the trusts and estate planning tools that he had set in motion in 1996. We were watching the end of some movie last night, and there was a text saying where all of the characters had ended up. I almost broke out reading to him because I always had to do so for Don or he wouldn't get the end of the movie. There's no way that Richard could know, as I lay there silent, how happy I was that he could read and understand for himself. Or could he know? Not long after that, he said our relationship is different for him because we are like captains of our own ships. But rather than being aimed at each other like heat seeking missiles, we are more like two people standing at the helm together and sharing equally in the course we choose. As tears welled in my eyes, I was glad that he wasn't looking at me. For all I did for Don, he always took credit for having done everything on his own. Although Don would sometimes tell other people that he relied on my advice, he would never admit that directly to me. Much to the contrary, he would always remind me that he was richer than I was when we met, and he would glory in being a self-made man, as if he were trying to convince me that I had no part in his success. I wouldn't rebut him for the most part, because there was no point in it. I knew he knew better, and that was all that mattered to me. Richard compared a lot of things I have told him about Dom with himself, and I told him it is like having all of Don's good qualities with none of his bad. Richard has said several times that he thought I was a smart woman. Dom would often say, you're not too dumb for a girl, or you're not too dumb for a blonde. I guess the compliment was the same underneath, but what a difference in the delivery. It is nice to be recognized for something that matters to me. People tell me all the time that I am beautiful, but that isn't what defines me as a person. And it often strikes me as vain flattery. We talked about Zena again. She wants Richard to travel with her and go places with her. They went to the yacht club and some other ritzy-sounding place that just isn't my crowd. Financially, I qualify, but I find so many of these people to be so shallow and misguided that I don't need—I don't care to spend time with them. I have perceived Richard as having more depth of character, but he seems to like to hobnob with this crowd. Maybe it's just another aspect of his people watching. He said that the last time he met with her, he found himself thinking about me and that he expects that if he spends time with her in the future, he will be thinking about me and avoid any deepening of their relationship. He said it can't go on like that for long. Sooner or later she will know about us and he didn't seem to think that she would take it well. At some point, he feels that he would have to make a decision, but I don't know any other way for him to make an informed one. They have already broken up once after dating for six months, and yet he seems to want to try again, so he must have some unresolved feelings for her. I want to know that those feelings are fully resolved before he commits to me. He asked if I wanted to start dating, and I said that except for an occasional dinner or event with my platonic friends, I had no desire to. He said that... He said something that struck me as odd at first, but looking back at past relationships it does make a lot of sense. He said that with no competition, it doesn't feel like a victory or an accomplishment. I felt a great deal of pride in the fact that Don chose me over the others who were vying for his attention. I pride myself on knowing that Richard will choose me over anyone he knows or who may come along. But what about his feelings? Where will he get his sense of worth of being that pearl of great price? I feel conceited telling him, about, telling him about the men who chase after me. Considering the qualifications of those who have tried to win my heart and lost, he has achieved a remarkable goal and doesn't even know it. I'm a real pickle now, knowing that he needs this reassurance of conquest, and yet fearing that telling the links other men go to in order for me to even speak to them will cause him to abandon his pursuit of happiness prematurely. He says I make him feel like a child, and he doesn't know what to do or say around me surely he knows i have that effect on most men a process server stopped my car on the driveway and as i rolled down my window his mouth opened to speak and then his jaw just dropped when he finally could speak he said are you carol lewis i acknowledged and all he could say is you're so beautiful then he just sat there staring at me getting impatient i asked if that was all he wanted and coming back around to reality, he sheepishly said that he had to serve papers on me. He apologized profusely and was still babbling about how sorry he was as I took the papers and drove off. It feels weird writing this to myself. How much harder would it be to relay this to him? I fell asleep, snuggled up to Richard, and feeling so warm and loved. He hasn't spoken the words, I love you, nor have I, and I'm not sure what we are waiting for. Is there any doubt? I feel so comfortable, so relaxed in his arms. Nature led me to believe that he needed attention as dawn broke, but he insisted he didn't. He asked if I needed him to satisfy me, and I told him I wasn't the one who woke up with a hard one. He said, again, that sex isn't what this relationship is based on, and that despite the signals his body was showing, he needed no more than a hug and a kiss to get his day off to a great start. He said that he has been more aroused around me than with most, but that he didn't want to upset the balance between sex and friendship. We drove to the corner convenience store for the coffee we both craved, and he went to fill his cup partially with ice before adding the coffee. I am the only person who I have ever seen do that. It is so weird to watch myself in motion. We kissed goodbye in the parking lot, and he said that even thinking about how wonderful last night was makes him all teary-eyed.